Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. We can just get on to expelling Jamal Bowman now, can't we? The Democrat from New York who pulled the fire alarm? Oh, you know he lied. I got confused by the exit, and then I got scared, and my shoes fell off, and I wet myself, so I hit the fire alarm, thinking it would open the door, because that's what happens. Nah, that is not what happened. What happened is that you tried to disrupt a vote in Congress. You knew you couldn't get out the door. You actually took one of the signs down that said, Hey, Jamal, you can't get out this door. And then you pulled the fire alarm because that's what progressive toughs do. Uh, First, I called them toughs. They're not very tough, and they need to know this. Uh, Secondly, uh, just for the sake uh, uh, of clarity, he has to be expelled from the House. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. Now, he has worked a deal with Capitol Police. He's going to write an apology to the Capitol Police and pay a $1,000 fine. And the charge will be withdrawn in three months. This at a court hearing set for January 29th. You would never get that deal, by the way, because you do not have progressive privilege. Don't ever think white privilege will ever overcome progressive privilege. Progressive privilege gets you out of anything. Progressive privilege is when you murder a woman by driving your car off of a bridge and then leaving her to drown, and then they keep electing you to the U.S. Senate. That is progressive privilege. The only person who didn't get progressive privilege is Al Franken, and that's only because he didn't invoke it. If he invoked it, he would have been just fine. It was just a, just a weird, weird apparition, weird thing that, that happened. Watch the video. If we don't have it yet, Sarah, let's get it over at TonyCats.com. Watch the video as released. He knocks a sign off the door. He walks by the sign that says, you can't open this. And then he pulled the fire alarm. He pulled the fire alarm and left. It's not like he pulled the fire alarm and then tried the door again. He pulled the fire alarm and left. Walked right out of frame. Because what he meant to do was disrupt a vote that he didn't want. And for that, he should be expelled. I understand what the Capitol Police has done here, and no, I'm not okay with it. But what the Capitol Police does and the ethics of the House of Representatives are two very different things. And it's time for Speaker Mike Johnson to show that he's actually ready for this thing. Expel Jamal Bowman. Does it matter what the left says? Expel Rashida Tlaib. It's one thing to understand that Rashida Tlaib is a Jew-hating bigot. Uh, by the way, Carl Carl's in uh, for, for Jason right now. Finger on the dump button, just, just in case. Just in case I missed anything. This was the people over at Real America's Voice uh, getting this uh, reporter catching up with Rashida Tlaib in the halls of Congress, which is totally fine. And, well, she loses her mind. Congresswoman, will you denounce Hamas? 
Will you denounce Hamas? Why do you support terrorists? You're dehumanizing Palestinians. No, you're you're supporting terrorists. No, you're supporting terrorists. You're supporting terrorists. How is that dehumanizing Palestinians? It's it's not. It you know, denouncing Hamas, a terrorist organization, seems like the rational thing to do. Seems normal. If asked, it seems normal. Um, but that's not a reason to to uh, expel her. I wouldn't expel her for just uh, being a bigot. I wouldn't vote for her for being a bigot. And I think the people of her district of Michigan have a lot of questions to answer for about why they're okay with such bigotry. No, you expel her because she lied about Israel's role in a bombing of a hospital because it never happened. It never happened. Israel didn't bomb a hospital. Hamas had a rocket go off, and uh, since they don't know really what they're doing, I mean, oh, they were good at the paragliding and murdering 1,400 Israelis, but their rocket technology isn't the best, and it went off course, and it even hit the hospital. It hit next to the hospital. The hospital's still standing. And she, knowing what happened, still pushes the lie. To me, that's a hidden comfort to the enemy. Expel her. Expel her. Gone. The fact that she's a despicable bigot, well, it doesn't mean a despicable bigot can't end up in Congress. I guess it's possible. I mean, Ilhan Omar is there. But you push a lie... That gives aid and comfort to the enemy. Last I heard, pushing lies, very wrong. Expel her. This is what I want to see the House do. Do not worry about making friends. Do not worry about if the left likes it or what they say about it. Does it matter what Hakeem Jeffries thinks about anything? To hell with Hakeem Jeffries in his insanity conversations. Just start making moves. That's all you need to do. You got to show some strength here. You've got uh, one member of Congress lying about an ally to provide aid and comfort to a terrorist organization. And then you've got another member who tried to disrupt the workings of Congress and lied about it. It's expulsion. As a matter of fact, I don't know how it isn't. Expulsion is not cancel culture, for those who may not know the difference. Cancel culture is saying, we don't like something you said, so we decide you can never work again. I oppose cancel culture. And I oppose it equally, regardless of political party. So when it comes to Dave Chappelle, I have no interest in canceling Dave Chappelle like I ever could. But Chappelle is talking about his comments at a show in Boston. At the Boston show, you had people walk out. They claim that he started talking about Israel and someone told him to shut the blank up. And he's like, you don't tell me how to talk at my own show. And Israel's this and Israel's that. And two wrongs don't make a right. And as the story goes... A bunch of people in the audience, some of whom, if not uh, all, who, who were Jewish, got up and left. While the audience was screaming, free Palestine, 
and go Gaza, whatever it is they were uh, screaming. And, and so uh, they got up and left. Chappelle states at a show in North Carolina, and I don't even know how we have the quote, by the way. I don't know how we have the quote because you can't bring in a recording device to a Chappelle presentation, performance, which is fine. It's, 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 it's his presentation. Right now, I'm in trouble because the Jewish community is upset. This is uh, what he's quoted was saying. But I cannot express this enough. No matter what you read about that show in Boston, you will never see quotation marks around anything I said. They don't know what I said. And he says that it's hearsay. Now, to this, he has an argument. You weren't there. I wasn't there. I have no idea what the guy said. He goes on to say, the other night I said something about Palestine and Boston and got misquoted all over the world. And I will not repeat what I said. First of all, uh, Palestine, you were talking about. Hmm. Hmm. I didn't know there was a history lesson in your show. When he said that, a woman in the, out- in the audience shouted, free Palestine. Again, no idea what that means. And he says, please, please, miss, listen, don't start it up or I'm going to be in the news cycle for another week. And then he's, uh, this is the quote attributed to him. This thing that's happening in the Middle East is bigger than everybody. No, it's not. Now, I don't know if Chappelle's going to say he did or didn't say that. This thing that's happening in the Middle East is bigger than everybody? No, it's not. It is actually exactly the right size for everybody. It isn't something, well, we're not able to talk about this. We don't even understand it. Dave. What you basically said is, hey, you're stupid. We don't have any way of understanding a terrorist organization. So, you know, best we just stay quiet. We can't really comment. No, no, not we. You, audience, can't really comment because you're not on the stage. I never assume that because I'm behind the microphone, I can comment and you can't. That, that seems silly. This isn't bigger than everybody. It is exactly the size of everybody. This is happening. A terrorist organization murdered 1,400. The country that was attacked has fired back. Hamas, being a terrorist organization, uses women and children as human shields, and so you have uh, people who are dead in Gaza. Innocent people, for sure. For sure. He even said that the situation in Israel was a nightmare, but added, quote, what's happening in Palestine is a nightmare. What Palestine? Dear Lord, Dave, get it straight. You know what I meant? No, I want you to talk with specifics. Everything would end if Hamas would stop. It would, it would end. Is it all a nightmare? Sure. But the nightmare ends when Hamas stops. The nightmare ends when Hamas stops. He's also quoted as saying there's, there's only two kinds of people in the world. People who love other people and the people that have things to make them afraid to love other people. Pray for everyone in Israel. Pray for everyone in Palestine. All right, okay, can I do this again? Can I do this again, Dave Chappelle? There's only two kinds of people in the world. I thought it was Elvis fans or Beatles fans. That's what I thought. 
That's what I thought the only two people. People who love other people and the people that have things to make them afraid to love other people. Um, I, I have no idea what this means. I, he doesn't, there's no way he knows what this means. There's only two kinds of people in the world. People who love other people and the people that have things to make them afraid to love other people. What if I don't love you, but I just think that you should be left alone because I want to be left alone and I don't actually give a damn if you love me. I'm cool with that. I never asked anybody to love me. I'm fine with not being loved. I only ask that I'm left alone. As a matter of fact, I would rather you didn't have an emotional thought about me at all. I mean, I think the love's sweet. It's probably better than the hate, but I'm totally okay if you haven't thought about me one dang bit. Thank you very much, Dave. I don't need you to love me. You don't need me to love you. Your life is fine. You don't need me to get in your way. That's not love at that moment. That's respect. Weird, weird commentary. Equally as weird as the idea that this thing in the Middle East is bigger than everybody. No, it's exactly the right size. Exactly. So, I don't know. Chappelle's going to have to figure out his way through this one. I'll watch other specials. Maybe they'll be good. Maybe they won't be. Things I like and things I don't. But it's clear to me he's trying to thread a needle as opposed to engage in a philosophy. That's what it looks like from what's been quoted. I don't think that's a a good way to be. But hey, he's the one bringing in the cash. If this is what what you got to do to get it, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you judge it. I'm Tony Katz. I, I don't. I mean, I think that um, I, I think that. Would you endorse him if he is the nominee? Well, I've already said that I signed the pledge. I'm supporting yeah, the Republican you, nominee. Do you think it's real? Well, for me, it is. I mean, I think when when you sign something, I know some people don't do, do that. But when I agreed to participate in the debates, I knew what that meant. I knew whoever comes out of that process. But here's the thing. I'm not just going to take my ball and go home. I'm going to do follow the process, respect the people's will. I think ultimately, you know, they'll make the judgment that, that I'm the best foot forward. And I think we'll get it done. But look, at the end of the day, um, I'm not going to just cry in the corner. I mean, I think Biden needs to be defeated. And I think a Republican needs to do it. So that's Ron DeSantis stating that he doesn't think Trump can beat Biden. That's the shot. Here's the chaser from the Hill. Trump widens lead over GOP field and survey of Pennsylvania Republicans. What is going on? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 833-468-8669-833. Got Tony. The latest national poll, this is the Messenger-Harris X poll. I haven't even checked the uh, the data points yet uh, on, on this. 3,029 registered voters, not likely voters, registered voters. The poll has a margin of error of 1.8. Shows Trump leading Biden 45-41. 
and shows Trump 61, DeSantis 11, Haley 6. Okay. But they're having two different conversations. You're having a conversation about the party versus a conversation about America. And DeSantis is going in the wrong direction. And Trump is right now 59.1. Yeah, that's his high. And it's not that he hasn't gotten higher in specific polls, but I'm talking about in the real clear politics average. So, you know, I know this is not working for Ron. I think Ron has done very well over the past couple of weeks in relationship to the conversation regarding Israel. Uh, his actions have spoken much better than his words, which is part of his problem. His actions are better than his words, but words matter. Oh, yeah, this campaign has not gone the way they would have liked. Not at all. Not at all and not in any way. This is, this is bad. And while I still think there's enough to keep Ron in the race and anything can happen, you can't feel good. You can't feel good that in New Hampshire, Nikki Haley is in a definitive second place right now. You can't feel good that in Iowa, she's coming on. I mean, the the last poll ended October 10th, so you need some new polling to really see where, where you are before you get to that Iowa caucus, which is, is it January or is it February? Is it January? I don't remember. But this is coming on strong, and there's been no movement. If you want to argue movement, uh, DeSantis was 15 and 16% in mid-September, And then he was end of September 21, and then beginning of October at 17. He's at 17.3%. If the next poll doesn't put him in the plus 20s, what's he he hoping for? And I say this as a guy who isn't bothered by him at all, because I don't care about personality. I care about getting the job done. I really don't care about the rest. I don't. Now, you could say to me what I always say, but Tony, you don't buy into the polls. Oh, this is correct. This is correct. I'm going to wait to see what Iowa does. But Trump widens lead over GOP field in survey of Pennsylvania Republicans. I mean, that's... That is something else. Franklin Marshall College poll. Franklin Marshall, sorry, college poll. Trump 55, 14 DeSantis. The last polling was Trump in August at 39%. I shouldn't pay attention to that? I'm sorry. I, I got to study that number all week. Yes, I'm still waiting for Iowa. And yes, I'm actually with DeSantis. I don't know if Trump can win a general. I am worried about it. And you tell me I'm ridiculous. <laughs> I think I'm more honest about where America is on this subject. But this is crazy. Four indictments and all the rest, and he's running away.
in these polls. We'll see if they hold. I'm Tony Katz. So the Colts are going to take on the Saints, and the Pacers are going to take on anybody who comes their way. This multi-year contract extension for Rick Carlisle. I got to assume this means the fans are happy that Kevin Pritchard thinks he's found his guy, or at least so they hope. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. JMV joins us from 93.5-1075, the fan in Indianapolis. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. I I will get to the Pacers, but let's start with the Colts, and let's go back a week because we didn't get a chance to talk about that Colts game against the Browns where the NFL came out to say, oh, yeah, those those calls at the end of the game. Uh, oops, that was, oh, can you believe that happened? Oh, well, on to the next. Um, I'm I'm angry that the Colts aren't angrier. You? No, I'm angry. I, I'm, a, I'm angry enough for everybody. Tony, there are, are spots in which every single time we judge the play on the field, the decisions off the field, the coaching on the sideline. So if there is two in this case, but one significant egregious error made, why can we not talk about the officiating? And in that capacity, Tony, that officiating and that that flag on the illegal contact because the game was over, the Colts had won. That cost them the game. They got hosed. Now, I don't bring this up all the time because ultimately you can't always blame the officials' calls for the outcome of a game. But in this case, you absolutely can. It's justified. And I didn't want to hear any of that, well, you've got to be stronger and tougher and it doesn't matter and you're a homer. Bullcrap. That cost them that game, Tony, on Sunday, that one single call. And there's no way around it. The NFL told Jim Mercy as much a couple of days ago. There was the illegal contact, and then there was the pass interference. So the illegal contact refers to how far, how many yards beyond the line of scrimmage uh, a defensive player can interfere with, uh, uh, in, impede uh, the, the receiver uh, on, on a route. This was a route where it was a cut to the left, a fake to the left, and then they cut back to the right. The defender, who's oh, number 39, why can't I remember his name? Oh, Daryl Baker Jr. Daryl Baker Jr. He basically yeah. fell down. He basically yeah. fell for, for the fake, and the receiver ran into him as opposed to Baker running into the receiver. I looked at yeah. that and said, there's no planet where this is a, a call that is made. Am I wrong about how they call that penalty? Here's all you have to do, Tony. Look at the play and look at the NFL. These wide receivers are looking for a flag and calling for a flag on nearly every single play. And the guy, Daryl Baker Jr., supposedly grabbed and clutched and got flagged for Amari Cooper. He turned around, thought the game was over. He understood that there was no issue here. He didn't think there should have been a flag thrown. And that's really all I had to do. If you watch that over and over again, he had absolutely zero reaction to it. And that's all that it needed to be that ultimately that was the wrong call to be made. Now, you can't go back and have the NFL tell the owner that, you know, we made a mistake here. We saw both those calls and, you know, they were inaccurate calls. Um, and justify anything whatsoever, but that doesn't mean we don't talk about it. That doesn't mean we're not justified in this case to talk about it, to bring it up, and to wonder why it happens, or to say that's the reason why, definitively, Tony speaking, that is the reason why 
they lost that game because it was over. After that EJ speed rushing of the quarterback and taking away the football, it was over until the official threw that flag. The second one also involved Daryl Baker Jr., who was in because Juju Brents got injured. It was clear to me that Daryl Baker Jr. was grabbing at the arm of the receiver. But it was equally clear that the ball was so overthrown, so out of the end zone, there is no possible way a catch inbounds could have been made. There was no discussion of this whatsoever. How does the NFL answer for that? And uh, as, as, as a follow-up, how do you throw that flag without a discussion taking place? No, no, exactly. There, there's no question about that part. Where's the discussion now? But the NFL, there is nothing clearly defined regarding an uncatchable ball. Seriously. And, and that's what is ridiculous, right? I guess maybe it's not ridiculous. Maybe it's just the way the NFL wants it because there's supposed to be, you know, a defined description of what a catch is, an actual catch. But, I mean, you and I both know that. <laughs> I mean, that's under discussion. You know, that's under debate every single play, it seems, every single game. So the uncatchable ball, we all saw it to be uncatchable, one bouncing into the stands. But, again, the rules don't deem it that way. There's no clear definition of an uncatchable ball, and that's how, I guess, they get out of it. But still, it was the wrong call to be made, and the NFL supposedly told Jim Irsay that a couple of days ago. Um, not a great deal of uh, – great feeling after that certainly but i just I, I said this tony on my show i said this all week long i said i'm not going to sit here every week and complain about the officiating but if it has a, a direct effect between winning and losing in that moment as it did on sunday you have to bring it up that's our job and thus we did talking to jmv from 93.5 the fan he is the voice of sports in Indiana, let, let us talk about just this team a little bit because Gardner Minshew didn't have a great game but didn't have a bad game. They clearly have shown they can they can run uh, the, the, the football. I, I believe that much is true, and I think they need to do much more of it. This defense had some plays that they shouldn't have had. This defense made some great plays. How do the Colts, as you have talked to them and if you've been watching this over this past week, what has this loss to the Browns done to them? Um, well, it seems like it's banged them up a little bit more because you know they have a laundry list of uh, injuries once again going into to this weekend. We'll see today how they end up practicing if anybody comes back. Um, here's what it did for me. I don't know if you felt the same way. Uh, outside of the decision-making before the half, you know, to put the ball in Gardner Minshew's hands in his own end zone and, and tempt fate, which they failed with Miles Garrett in the end zone. Other than that, Shane Steichen, I thought, had an offensive game plan, and it played out as good as I've seen around here in a long time. Here's the way you can tell that. Jim Swartz, the defensive coordinator, they had given up in Cleveland through, I think, the first five games, just a little over 1,000 yards, Tony. They gave up 40-plus percent of that total in that game alone on Sunday against the Colts. What I thought Steichen did is he gave – offensive play calling and movement getting down the field in terms of how it went with the Browns. He, he did things that Jim Swartz, the defensive coordinator of the Browns, were not ready for. And I thought that that was unique. And I thought that that was a brilliant play call offensively throughout that game. That's why Colts fans should be happy about having Shane Steichen as their head coach of the future, because I thought 
the game plan of doing things that clearly the Browns were not ready for after watching the Browns dominate the Niners defensively and play the way they did in the first five. I thought it was a brilliant play-calling afternoon for the first-year head coach here at Indy. So now you take that into the game against the Saints. Is it just one and done with brilliant play calling? Or is this a team that's like, wait a second, we may have gotten screwed, but we've, we've, got, we've got something here. Like, is there a bit of a chip on the shoulder? Is there a bit of, wait a second, we can play? Or, or, or does this uh, loss then create a bit of a demoralizing uh, in, in, into the next? What are you hearing? I think the demoralizing effect would be if they were to lose coming up on Sunday to the Saints. I mean, you look back and you go, that was one we, we just kind of kicked away. And you also got to keep in mind, what is it, Tony, in the last nine, they've won one game at Lucas Oil Stadium. You know, we celebrated when they finally got off the snide, so to speak, um, in losing seven consecutive at home and, and did that against Tennessee a couple of weeks ago. But now they, they've lost you know, one one, I should say, in the last eight or nine, I think, in Lucas Oil Stadium right now. So that's that's got to turn around as well. But this team still has a chance. They still have something to play for. And I know people are going to say, well, Jacksonville's going to run away with it. And that may very well be the case, but it may not. And the Colts' schedule, when you look at it, it is still incredibly winnable. If nothing else, you can look at it as them being competitive in every game. Tony, it's the Saints on Sunday. They've been struggling. You got Carolina, which is awful, the Sunday after that. And then you get New England, which surprisingly enough beat Buffalo last week. But they've struggled this year, too, in Frankfurt, Germany. Then you have a bye week. I mean, you can make up some ground with this schedule. So I think they're looking at that more than the being demoralized, for example, you know, by that particular loss against the Browns. And you just have to start winning in your stadium. I mean, that has to be some kind of home field advantage, Tony. And for the past almost two years, it just simply has not been. No, it, it has not. And so if you are talking about the, 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 the play calling of, of this Colts team yeah. uh, and you liked what you saw, is it because you saw balance? Is it because you saw a, uh, a reliance on a running game with this one-two punch, which is really a one-one punch? Put Moss and Taylor, doesn't matter who, you, you got to feel good. Or, or is, is, where is it about the play calling? What, was it that, what is it that you would like to see regarding the Saints coming up? Yeah, I, I just looked at it from a team standpoint with the Browns who had been so dominant and legitimately dominant. I looked at it from that standpoint that the Browns just weren't ready for what Shane Steichen was calling up. They still utilized the RPOs with Gardner Minshew, just like they did from the playbook of Anthony Richardson. And that was clearly something the Browns were not ready for. And that's what impressed me the most, just the yardage they, they piled up and in the fashion in which – they did it because in a lot of ways, Tony, we didn't think that they were going to do that. We thought they were going to take three, four pages out of the playbook because Gardner Minshew can't do what Anthony Richardson does. And as an end result, he ended up doing just that. I just thought it was a brilliant play calling afternoon and strategy and one that the Browns weren't clearly ready for. And that's what stands out to me as far as play calling and offense is concerned. Let's bring it over to the Indiana Pacers. They get the victory over the Washington Wizards with 140 points. While they seem to score a lot of offense, they weren't necessarily super great, giving up 120-plus points on defense. It gets Rick Carlisle a multi-year contract extension. Uh, I don't think it was because of the one game. I think it's just the way it timed out. Uh, talk to me about what you saw from game one of these Pacers and where you see them going. 
Well, it was impressive from this standpoint. They gave up 39 in the first quarter, and defense is going to be something they're going to have to play much better. But from that point on, they didn't give up 30 in a quarter and then ran away and hid. And I said this all along, Tony. I wanted them to improve defensively, but I also didn't want to see them backpedal in terms of offense. Now, granted, the Washington Wizards are not a good basketball team. They're going to have a struggling season. But I thought the Pacers did on opening night at Cambridge Fieldhouse what they needed to do. They went out there, and outside of that first quarter, you got right. You showed a great deal of depth across the board, and you put up 143 points. Offensively, you were fantastic, and you dominated a team, Tony, that you should dominate. So that's what was most impressive to me. But seeing some of those new faces, Bruce Brown went for 24. That was impressive. Tyrese Halliburton with a double-double with assists. As a starter, Andrew Nimhart, a double-double with assists as well off the bench. It was just an impressive all-around night, especially offensively, Tony, for the Pacers. Uh, Rick Carlisle, with the multi-year contract extension, you feel good about this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's one of the five things. He, he still loves it. He loves this team. He, he loves this style. They're going to get up and down the floor. They're going to push it in terms of, you know, this is how the NBA is played. Really, most basketball is played these days. And I just I think that this season I picked them to win 45 games, which is 10 more than what they won a year ago, and 20 more than they won two years ago. I just think they're going to surprise a lot of folks in the Eastern Conference. So yeah, I justify the extension of Carlisle, and you're going to have a really fun season watching an exciting basketball team get up and down the floor. Now, notwithstanding injuries, I mean if Tyrese Halliburton goes down, then they're going to be hosed, just like we saw last year when they were winning games in December. But this team does have depth, and that will play a significant role over the course of the season, especially early on. JMV in 93.5-1075, the fan. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. I appreciate you being with us. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Are you running for president? I am. I have to. Congressman Dean Phillips, a Minnesota Democrat, is launching a bid for the White House. Even he calls a long shot, taking on an incumbent president he still praises. I think President Biden has done a spectacular job for our country, but it's not about the past. This is an election about the... Wait, it's an election about what? It's an election about what, Congressman Phillips? Ah, he is the captain now. See what I did there? Feel good about that. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today... Uh, bring it on. He's done a wonderful job that Joe Biden has, but he's super duper old and we're all crazy if we think he could do this again. By the way, he hasn't done a, a great job. So so we're perfectly clear. But that's not the story. The story is, is you have a Democrat running against him. You have got a Democrat saying, yeah, this isn't going to work. Now, the question is, is this hubris or is this somebody well confronting reality? That's the question. Is this a, a, a conversation solely and exclusively of, oh, I could do it better than him because he's old? Or is this a conversation of, guys, somebody else has to do it other than him because he's old? He's infirm. He's incapable. He can't walk up the stairs. He can't walk down the stairs. He doesn't know how to walk side to side. Is anybody going to notice? In the party, if you want to figure out the fastest way, if you want to find out the fastest way to get pushed to the side, I mean, this is it.
This is it with, with, without even a debate. It only takes one, though. And that's the part that I'm looking for. You'll notice that Democrats don't break ranks, right? Uh, the expression of uh, difference between Republicans and Democrats is Republicans fall in love, right? Anybody says anything uh, that's remotely conservative, oh, they're so great. And then they say something else, you're like, oh, how repulsive. Maybe not. don't fall in love so quick. Maybe you don't need to move in after the first date, right? That, that, that is not necessary. This is not an episode of the L word. Screw you. That's a damn good cultural reference, and I expect my props for that. Well done. Well played, cats. So the, left fall, the, the political right falls in love. The political left falls in line. That's the difference. And they will all fall in line and all fall behind uh, 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 Joe Biden. Unless one does not. And I think that's all it would take. One person to say, Dean Phillips. Huh. Now, the amount I know about Dean Phillips could fill a thimble. I know zero about Dean Phillips. I don't know what level of radicalism. I don't know where he is on a a multiplicity of subjects and topics and any deviations he has from the party, etc. One Democrat says, Dean Phillips, hmm, might cause a tidal wave. Might cause a ripple. Might leave him to uh, die of thirst. I don't know. But he is right. Joe Biden can't do this anymore, and we all know it. This is Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Mm-hmm.